Welcome back to the podcast of The Legacy of John Williams. I'm your host, Maurizio Caschetto, and this is a new episode of The Legacy Conversations. My guest today is legendary music contractor Sandy the Crescent. Sandy the Crescent is the leading music contractor in Hollywood, the person responsible for the assembly of orchestra players for film sessions, as per the composer's requests and the hard reality of the film's budget. She amassed an astounding resume over more than 50 years and worked on more than 1,000 movies for some of Hollywood's best-known composers, such as Jerry Goldsmith, Harry Mancini, James Horner, Randy Newman, and of course, John Williams. She became John Williams's music contractor since the composer's first collaboration with director Steven Spielberg in 1974 for the film The Sugarland Express, and they became a wonderful team since then. Sandy is now virtually retired from the business, but she still works for Maestro Williams and also for composers such as Randy Newman and James Newton Howard. In this conversation, Sandy talks about her long and illustrious career, the challenges she faced in being a woman in an almost exclusively male environment, and her long and fruitful collaboration with John Williams. Sandy, thank you very much for accepting to talk with me. With the legacy of John Williams, it's a true pleasure to talk with one of John Williams' most trusted collaborators over the years. Let's start talking about your first steps in the Hollywood film industry. So how did you get started? Oh my, let's see. Um, I worked for uh, the biggest music contractor in Hollywood at the time, Bobby Helfer, and we were at Universal Studios. And um, my goodness, they were the biggest producer of TV at the time. There were 18 shows, and two of them were 90 minutes long, and there was no reality TV or these other silly things that are on now. So this was all these anthology series. Mm -hmm. And he passed away rather suddenly about... 47 years ago, mm-hmm. and the man who was the head of music for Universal was Stanley Wilson, who was also John Williams' mentor. And Stanley was like a dad to me. He, he was just so wonderful and had such faith in me and he knew that I had been doing a lot of the work. And so he called me in his office not long after Bobby died and said, I'd like you to take over as music contractor. 
And this was quite a thing at that time, Maurizio, because mm. there were no women. And he said, it's going to be very hard. The men are not going to be happy about it. Mm. And you, you better be as strong as I think you are. And I was as strong as he thought I was. <laughs> but I, I will be honest with you, I, I couldn't have imagined how ugly it was going to be at first. I mean, really horrible. And terrible things were said about me because, of course, I couldn't possibly have gotten the job because I was capable. It had to be who I was sleeping with and... Oh, I can't tell you how ugly and awful. So I talked to my husband about it, and I said, this is something I would really like to do. And he was a wonderful supporter of me. And so um, I began almost immediately to work for Stanley and do all those shows. no respect at first and almost no women in the orchestra and bit by bit I changed it and you mm. know put up no smoking signs started finding women who have equal ability and um, I met John actually I met John long before I became a contractor he was playing keyboard for West Side Story, Johnny Green was conducting, and my then boss, Bobby Helfer, took me to see the recording, and I mean, I just was beside myself. I'd never been to a recording session, and um, it, was, it was unbelievable, yeah. and introduced me to John.
So I have now known John for 60 years. Virtually the beginning of his own career as a... Oh, yes, yeah. yes. And then Spielberg did his first TV movie, and he and I got along great. And he said, I'm going to have John Williams do my first movie, which was called Sugarland Express. And um, I did that. And then I did Jaws, and the rest is history. And I've been with Stephen for, God, over 40 years for sure, 45. Mm, that's pretty, pretty amazing, yes. And. Uh, uh, I think John Williams himself talked about the importance of uh, Stanley Wilson for his own oh. career because he oh, mentored yes. a lot of young up-and-coming composers back then, like Lalo Schifrin and Dave Grusin yes. and, of course, yes. John. And so what are your recollection of Stanley Wilson as a man and as a, and, uh, as a musician? Well, there's never been anyone like him since. He loved the composers. I mean, really loved them. They were like uh, sons to him. And he was soft-spoken and gentle and so caring. And um, I didn't, wasn't lucky enough to have a really good dad when I was mm. growing up. And Stan Wilson was everything I ever wanted in a dad. Mm. He had daughters my age, and, and he, he just was as kind as anyone I've ever met. And we all loved him. We just loved him. Mm. He, as you said, he was mentor to many, many people. And as a matter of fact, exactly one month to the day after my boss died, Bobby Helfer, mm -hmm. Stanley went to uh, Aspen to a music festival with Dave Grusin and died of a massive coronary. And the grief that was felt by those of us who loved him so much was, was so much. And yeah. uh, I mean, he was really loved and respected and was an honor to know him and to work with him. And John Williams also acknowledged many times the importance of, during his first days as a composer, of writing for TV shows. I mean, like Craft Suspense Theatre or yes. Alcoa Theatre back in the day. Um, yes. So he had to write in a very different style and for different genres every week. The same was for people like Lalo Schifrin, as we said, and Jerry Goldsmith. And said so they were all working in different offices, but near together, near each other. So how yes. was working in that environment back in uh, the day with all those incredible musicians? It was, it could never happen again, of course. And mm. everything has changed uh, tremendously here. But it was so collegial. And I mean, I felt like the luckiest girl ever. I mean, it really was wonderful. And we were kind of like a family. Mm. And um, gosh, just talking about it takes my breath away because it was so special. And John also did a show, which kind of a comedy, 
called Bachelor Father, and uh, that was way out of his genre. <laughs> I think he, he himself acknowledged this. I mean, it was a very important formative experience because yes. he had to learn to write in different styles and genre. And then, so in this sense, he learned the job doing it, actually. He, he didn't go to any film music school, you know?
first of all, there's no one to compare to John Williams. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is brilliant beyond anyone's imagination. And here he is at 87, conducting this 102-piece orchestra for Star Wars. And, oh, it's just something. Mm -hmm. But um, also, there were people like Randy Newman, who also didn't go to a music school, but of course he comes from this incredible musical family, and I miss all of that. Mm. But of course I'm 80 years old, so I've been so lucky. I've been around for the golden years. Mm. Yeah, and those were incredible days also for the musicianship and the craft of the film music scene in Hollywood. I mean, in L.A. you had some of the best, if not the best, players in the world performing in film sessions. You yes. had amazing composers writing great music for impeccable players, and it was a lot <laughs> in all departments. So some of these players became legendary. I mean, Vince DeRosa, the horn player, oh, or yes. Tommy Johnson, the tuba player, and right. Malcolm McNabb, the trumpet player. A lot yes, of them yes. could have been top players in major symphony orchestras. Oh, absolutely. You're so right. composers and mm. I let go of 90% because I just I have beautiful twin granddaughters and a beautiful daughter mm. and, I, and I lost my husband and I thought oh. you know I, I want to have more life sure. away from the studio yeah. and so but there were people like Jerry Goldsmith who I mean, he was thrilling, absolutely thrilling, a whole different thing than with John, but equally talented. My God, some yeah. of his scores were just fantastic. And both he and John never did a throwaway score, because like, ah, oh, this movie's not that good, never. So it was an honor, a real honor. Yeah.
I was talking with, about this with David Newman not too long ago. So they represent kind of the peak era of that generation. Yes. And they crossed the bridges with, between the, the older generation of the European composers who came to Hollywood, like Korngold and Roja and Waxman right. and so on, with the new generation and with the current generation. And also, of course, we have to include also Harry Mancini and Elmer Bernstein and Bernard um, Herman. Bernard Herman as well, of course. So it's really incredible to see how this thread made uh, Hollywood film music really a unique thing of its own. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And I think that we have an orchestra today that is, you know, I'm not a musician. Hmm. So for me to say to someone, oh, you have to audition for me. Hmm. Of course not. That would be so foolish and egotistical. And the way I have built this orchestra for John and many other people, but right now it's the best orchestra I've ever worked with. And that even goes back to the days when it was so good. Yeah. But it got sloppy and people got just, they lost a lot of discipline, which we used to have. And we have a horn player right now whose name is Dylan Hart, who it's uh, he is so great that mm. I hardly know what to say about him but <laughs> what I did was go to every brass player in the orchestra and I said if I told you I was looking for a new first chair French horn mm. who would it be and to a person they said Dylan Hart and he's magnificent I haven't had a horn player like that since Vince DeRosa I spoke with a few of the orchestra players in LA about working with John Williams and really every one of them kept telling me about how caring John is when working oh. with them. I mean, yes. he really still writes music oh. uh, specifically for, for the single players. I mean, he got to know their style of playing and their character. So in a way, he influenced the career of the musicians. And yes. so how important has been John to all of them? Oh, my God. He, there isn't any level on which he is not the most important because he's, you know, I'll tell you a little aside. 
Hmm. I've had other composers say to me, how come the orchestra doesn't play as well for me as they do for John? <laughs> That's the truth. And the answer is that he, first of all, how could you not respect this hmm. man? So there's that. But also, it's the way he treats them and makes them feel good about what they're doing. And it is, I, I have to admit, an amazing thing if you took this very same orchestra I'm bragging about right now and put them with someone who disrespects them or doesn't appreciate them or whatever, it, it would not be the same orchestra. Yes, I guess. I've had some of them say to me, I didn't know I could play that great. Wow. Yes. That's a lovely thing, actually, to say. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, yeah. He's that inspirational. are in this job since 50 years so yes. you see the great and the terrible I mean, in your... and the so-so's yeah <laughs> of course so you had to navigate through a lot of tension and stress because it's the last stage of of the making of the movie and the clock is ticking every second and all the movie people get <laughs> anxious and so but you're beloved by all musicians I spoke to performing in LA and of course composers too so how important is the role of the music contractor so to speak because I learned your name since I was a little kid collecting soundtracks mostly by John Williams but also by Alan Silvestri and James Horner and I kept seeing your name Sandy Crescent music contractor so can you tell me about what is your specifically your job well um, for one thing I am not a political person, mm. and so I, I have, like, I have a special relationship with a few of the composers, but I'm not one to buy gifts and uh, invite people over for drinks. I have kept a very private life, and I had a great marriage and all that, so, but with John, I have dinner with John many times a year. And we talk about politics, we talk about books, we talk about everything but music. <laughs> Unless he has a complaint. And, but he's the one that's made me stretch further than anyone. He'd say to me, 
calls me angel. Angel, that was good, but not great. And then I'd go crazy, making <laughs> it better and better and better. Until right now, he said it's one of the best orchestras be performing in the world today. And um, I don't credit myself with brilliance there. It's just the lack of ego that's allowed me to speak to people who, I mean, naturally, they're going to know a million times more than I do about this new cellist or this new horn player or hmm. whomever. And, and they've all been very open and honest with me. And I treat them with a huge amount of respect but at the same time, I expect them to respect me. And they don't have a reason not to. I'm very, very straightforward. I never cheat them or any of that. But I must admit that the whole town is so influenced by a contractor mm. because we've had some pretty bad ones, no names mentioned, who have done things like well, if you send them the best Christmas gift, you're on their list. All kind of free vacations. That one of them owned a condo in Maui, in mm. Hawaii, and offered it to me and said, you know, you and your husband take your children. And oh, my God, no. I mean, once you do that, it's over. You can't accept any outside influence like that. And also, I might add, there are now, I'm going to say, between 40 and sometimes 50% women in the orchestra. That's a great thing, yes. Oh, and in the beginning, you know, there was the token flautist and harpist and a few string players, but it was an all-boy network. And I think the women have added so much warmth, and, and they have to be, as I said, every bit as good as a male colleague absolutely and yes. they are yeah. they absolutely they are i see a lot of women performing especially in brass section who are amazing this was probably unheard of until you know 20 25 years ago or probably even oh, less god yeah i was always looking for lady brass players and i would say it was slim pickings i mean there just weren't very many around, and there are two now who are unbelievable. Mm. And they're a part of the horns section. It's, it's wonderful. I feel so proud of them. And all it, of that matters. And John Williams seems to be very loyal to all his key collaborators over the years. He kept a very, very small group of trusted people around him. So I guess this yes. is a very rare quality in the film environment in general. Where, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Too bad, isn't it? But mm. that's the truth. After all these years doing this job uh, with John, you know, I don't want just to pull anecdotes out of you, absolutely, but even though you certainly have many. But yes. I'd love to know what are your most cherished or particular memories of working with John over the years? Oh, dear. Well, I mean, one of the things that John said when he was offered Schindler's List and he went to see it and he, you know, they, they screened it for him with Stephen, he was absolutely blown away and very, very touched. And 
he said to Stephen, you need someone better than me. And Stephen said, I know, but they're all dead. <laughs> and that stayed with John for, it's still with him. He'll sometimes, he told the orchestra that once yeah. and they just fell apart. <laughs> it's a very nice story, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but but he speaks and, a lot about about Stephen's respect for John. The first time John played for him uh, the theme from Jaws. Oh, he, uh, yes. Stephen was, are you serious? <laughs> Is that the theme <laughs> for my movie? And then John said, no, you have to trust me because... You did a pirate movie. You don't need anything, you know, esoterical and so on. And he trusted him. many directors today would trust this much his own or okay. her own composer that's key that's key Maurizio what you just said directors today um, wouldn't give that kind of trust and if if you're going to to hire a composer not that you shouldn't have some input uh, as a director of course but yes. you, if you start changing every cue and not let the expression come out, it's not a good thing. And you're not gonna get the best score. Stephen is so in love with John and the music that he's like a little kid. He stands and he walks from section to section and he takes pictures and videos. And I mean, he is, he also is one of the finest people I've had the honor to work with. Uh, it's just been a what a great team, John and Stephen and oh my, and mm. all of Stephen's people that he works with all good people. You know, it, people say it, but it's true. It starts at the top. Yes. And if you have a kind, wonderful, brilliant man, everybody's going to work as hard as they can to please you. And that certainly is the case. Yeah, yeah. And of course, also, over the years that John and Stephen worked together, they showed oh. a, a great versatility. I mean, they, they did a lot of different kind of music. Uh, Jurassic Park is so different from Schindler's List. That is oh, so yeah. different from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is right. very, very different from Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, I love that score. Yeah. Catch Thank you. 
yeah, it's it's kind of a throwback for, to his early jazz 1960s scores. Yes, exactly. Mm. And then also E.T., which... Oh, my, yes. He made that magical, absolutely magical, John did. Yeah, and yeah. And Stephen, Stephen's like a little boy. That's how he was able to do that and do Schindler's List. John Williams became such a towering and inspiring figure among his peers. You talk with people playing in orchestras nowadays, everywhere in the world, even here in Italy, and they said, oh, you know, the first music I heard was Star Wars, and then I became in love with symphonic music, and then I started to play an instrument. Besides the success or the popularity of certain films, uh, why John Williams became so much inspiring for, for people, for musicians and music lovers? First of all, there's his brilliant, brilliant writing. But he is also one of the most charming people I've mm. ever met in my life. He's very serious about his work. And I once had, he asked for a concert master that I knew would not be good for him because this guy joked around too much. It's all about the music for mm. John. And if anyone's going to make the jokes, he'll make them. And not that, and he has a great sense of humor, but his music captures the imagination. And so many people have gone on to become musicians, as you said, and composers. And He's been just one of the most influential, I think the most influential figure, musical figure that all Hollywood's ever had, mm. ever. It's a combination of not just his brilliance as a musician, but his versatility, the way he treats people. I mean, you know who is absolutely in love with him now is J.J. Abrams. I mean... He's like a little kid with, just like John, with, and he was mentored by Stephen. And um, he's out there taking pictures and videoing. And I'll tell you a little aside story about JJ. When he was a little kid, his parents let him go see Jaws. They took him. And that was it. He was hooked on John Williams. And then, of course, Star Wars, all of that. But when he was a little kid at, in class, 
the teacher gave them a board to write on, paint on, do anything they wanted with. And he was about nine years old, and he took this board and wrote on it, on the top it said Jaws and music by John Williams. John's name was just the biggest lettering of all. <laughs> and and he would lay on his back and listen to John's music in his room. And the first time we worked with him was on the first of the trilogy. And he showed me the picture of that board where he tried to paint a shark. Didn't look much like one, but... <laughs> He told me about it, and he he was so thrilled to be in the same room with him. Uh, it's it's magical. The fact oh. he's still working with him in this last episode comes full circle in a way. Yes. You know, if we think about how much important was the music of the first film and how many people inspired in filmmaking and the film music and now coming full circle after 40 plus years and yes. we have a director who is the, the newer generation working right. again with John Williams. And it's, I mean, yeah. this is something really that people probably don't have a full grasp about how big this is. And this is something I talked with Anne-Sophie Mutel recently when he spoke about her experience in um, recording in LA with, uh, uh, with John. How was, was that? I mean, that was, oh my, that was a highlight for me because she is so brilliant. And she fell in love with the orchestra. She said they're so accessible and so enthusiastic. They want to please. And of course, all the string players were over the moon that they were playing with on Sophie. And uh, it, it was a fabulous, fabulous collaboration. They got along beautifully. I mean, they just, by the end of it, they were real pals, you know? Mm. And um, she couldn't have been more gracious. And, but I mean, every, everyone he works with 
he leaves such a wonderful memory and such a great experience. He's one in a million. And uh, any of us who've had this opportunity should feel so blessed. Hollywood Bowl. It's yes. sold out months ahead, and he's like a rock star. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Dave Newman told you this. You look back at the audience. If you turn around, yeah. he gets us a great box right in front, and I bring my whole family. And you turn around and look behind you, and in the bleachers, it's completely uh, a, a light with a the, the sabers. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the laser sword. Yes, yeah. Lightsabers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it is, and screaming and yelling him. And when it's over, they won't let him go. It goes on a standing ovation for maybe five minutes. Then he comes out again, <laughs> and finally he says, "I have to go to sleep." <laughs> yeah. He puts his hands on the side of his face and says, "Time." <laughs> yeah, that that's really wonderful. And the fact that he still enjoys performing live so much and conducting oh. orchestras. I recently learned that he's coming finally to conduct in Europe, in Vienna, next January, yes. which is absolutely amazing. And I cannot wait to, to see him conducting here in Europe. 
Well, it'll be very special, and you will, of course, be so thrilled to see him and hear the music. And yeah, yeah, in, in such a rich environment for music and uh, the, the concert hall in Vienna, where there's a, such a big history of the great classical composers performing there. It's really, I think it's a way to also to acknowledge John Williams' importance in the history of music, not just film music, but music in general, because I always see him as a composer who writes for film, not just a film composer. That's right. Well, spoken like a true fan. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you one more thing, and that is that going way, way back, um, they started to turn to synthesizers for mm. movies and for, or, uh, for TV and all that, and the synth became the rage. Well, as you and I know, there is no comparison to the sound of a live orchestra. Uh, they think they can replicate it, but they can't. No. Because it, each player especially in the strings, touches the yeah. bow and the string with a different essence and feeling. And I can tell synthesizer from a mile away. And Stephen came along and he said, oh, no, no, this is no good at all. And we did some big movies with huge orchestras, and they began to change the makeup of scores in L.A., so to say that John and Stephen have had a big influence is putting it mildly, and it changed the course of things.
let's hope that the things will change again. I mean, I think we are really in need of someone new who brings back the orchestra and picks up the baton where John Williams is leaving it. Yes. I think that is well, very important. Well, I'm going to start a new movie in January called Jungle Cruise mm. with James Newton Howard. Oh, I love him. A, I love him. Me yes. too. Yes. Me too. He's a great composer. He really cares about the music. You know what I mean? Yes, he that does. He, he's very considerate and he respects the musician. He writes very fine music. I, I love yes. him. He's one of the best, really. I think so, too. And Randy Newman. Oh, my I God. Mean, <laughs> he's uh, such, a, such a great... You know, he's a, he wrote some beautiful songs first, of course, because he's a great songwriter. And he also has this incredible talent writing melodies, and he really oh. tugs my heart. You know, even when he writes for animated movies like Toy Story oh, yes. or so on, he really touches you. You know, he really he does. He pulls your heartstrings. <laughs> I know. Did you see Toy Story four? Not yet. Okay. Well, when you, it's not playing anymore, but you'll see it eventually. Yeah. He wrote such a moving, incredible score. And, and then fun, lots of serendipity. He's got the possibly the greatest sense of humor of <laughs> anyone I've ever worked with. He's so funny. And he did a, a small movie called Marriage Story, mm. which is coming out in December. And he wrote, it's only like 38 players, he wrote such a touching fabulous score he can do anything and the orchestra adores him yeah again i'm so lucky yeah yeah you had an incredible life uh, you had a yes. really incredible i i guess also demanding job but you pulled it out really brilliantly i could say and i was really saying before that i learned your name since i was a little kid so oh. it's really an honor to speak with you finally after all these oh. years i used to read on the back covers of the lps or the cds you know learning the names and of the people of course the the big name is the composer but there is a, a lot of people working together with him to to yes. to help him or help her to achieve their their own vision and that is very yes. important and so Sandy, really, thank you very much for, for accepting to talk with me. It's been oh, a real absolutely. honor. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. And let's stay in touch. Okay, that's a deal. And good luck with everything. Oh, you too. Thank you, Sandy. Bye-bye. Oh, Bye-bye. Thanks to Team Graving for the help and support in doing this interview and to Sandy de Crescent for her time and generosity. From your host, Maurizio Caschetto, thank you for listening. Until the next Legacy Conversation on the Legacy of John Williams. <laughs>